So this morning, as you guys know, I'm a youth pastor. And so my wife and I have been with some of these kids for like five-ish years, which means some of those kids that started at 11-year-olds are now driving, which in our mind, I mean, I can only imagine for parents, but when they like show up to youth group, I'm like, oh, where'd your parents? And like, I drove myself here. And it's literally, I'm like, you're 11 though. Like, how are you driving? <laughs> and it's, it's actually, it's been like refreshing some memories, some painful memories of when I learned to drive. And when I was 16 and my first car accident was a major, honestly, gnarly car accident. Um, and I'm going to share that really quick. There's a reason. So when I was 16, my mom got me a little Bluetooth thing, you know, in the ear. And it was right when they're coming out. And she's like, you have to wear this at all times. And I'm like, this is the lamest thing. I just got my license. I feel cool. My, like, so I'm like, I'm not going to wear it. But, but what I will do is I'll just put it somewhere in my car. And then when someone calls, I'll put it in. So I get my Bluetooth thing and I'm driving out of our neighborhood onto kind of a major street. And as, I, as I'm like taking it out, like I'm not going to wear this. I'm pulling out of our neighborhood. Not, not, my foot's not on the gas, just cruising. And I'm, I'm looking around like, where should I put this Bluetooth thing so that I'm safe in my car? And I'm just still driving, turning, and I don't straighten out. So next thing I know, like I, my truck hops up the curb. And by the time I like look, but when I hopped up the curb, my foot hit the gas pedal, full, like floored it. And so I'm like, like blazing down the sidewalk, running into a fence. And then I slam my truck in the very middle of this huge cement light pole. And I go up the light pole. And then I watched the light pole just like crumble on the street. And I'm, this happened in like two seconds. And I'm just, I'm like, what have I done? It was $24,000 to fix the light pole, $6,000. My truck didn't, it was in total though, so still got that truck. But here's why I tell you that story. Some of the most life-giving, useful tools in life, if you use them wrong, can be deadly. Some of the most life-giving gifts that God has given us, if you use them wrong, they can literally lead to death and destruction. And it's, it's the same thing with the word of God, which is kind of weird to think about. This is probably God's greatest gift that he's given to us, this his very word. Yet if, if you approach this the wrong way, it can literally be deadly to your faith and deadly to your soul. And I live most of my life not really understanding. And so this morning, what we're gonna go over is is how to read a Bible story. And we're going to do that by reading the Palm Sunday story together. And, and the reason is this. If, if we don't know how to approach stories in the word of God right, it, it, it can be deadly for our soul. And so if you have your Bible, flip to John chapter 12. We're going to read verses 12 to 19. We're going to look at the Palm Sunday story. It's probably familiar to many of us. I'm just going to read those verses, pray, and then we will get into it. All right, John 12, verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, 
Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for Palm Sunday and this story. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And Jesus, I just pray that you you would meet us in your word this morning, that we would meet you, that you would become clear to us, that we would would see the dangers of of reading this book in in a way that you tell us not to, but we would see how it brings life and joy, and ultimately it brings us to Jesus himself when we approach your word the right way. So Lord, would you meet us? Would you help us if we're distracted, if we're tired? God, if, if um, you, you know what's going on in our life, you can meet each of us. So would you just, would you come and, and meet with us in your word right now? We thank you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are many times where the Bible is just very straightforward, right? Like, here's the truth. This is how things are. Those are books like Romans or Galatians or even the Proverbs. Like, this is true. And then God has chosen to speak to us, think about this, through stories. Like the story we just read was God's word. Like God breathed, God wrote and spoke the words that we just read in a story. Much of the Bible is God speaking to us through stories. Okay, and we can, we can approach those stories in, in many wrong ways that, that are dangerous or very many life-giving ways. And so this morning, we're going to go over five, okay, five ways how to read a Bible story. And, and the first thing is this. We can read stories and we should read stories to teach us truth. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says this about the stories in the Old Testament. Now, these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. That's true of every story in the Bible. They're written so that we can be instructed, so that we can be ultimately led to truth and to Jesus. And so the first, most important way, the the first thing about reading a Bible story, the first way how to read a Bible story is to read the story in context. Maybe you like learn that in college, even when you're learning about literature, learning about history, you have to know the context, right? Maybe you've walked in on a conversation or a joke at the wrong moment and you're just like, what is happening? What are you saying right now, right? You didn't, you weren't there for the beginning, or if you, if you watch, if you start watching a TV series or a movie, like in the middle, like it, things just won't make sense to you. Like if you just saw the new Star Wars and you've never seen the other Star Wars, this will have happened to you many times in the theater. You're, some random person walks on stage and the whole theater erupts in cheering and laughter and you're like, what is going on? It's because they're like characters that are beloved from the old stories that you're like, people are freaking out about. The more you understand the context, what's going on, the more the stories will make sense. And it's so true with the word of God. Honestly, if you read this story, Palm Sunday, without any context, it's a weird story, right? Then they took palm branches and they're waving them. And then Jesus sits down on a donkey and then people are laying their clothes. And and then when he raised the guy Lazarus, the crowd from Lazarus, like, who is Lazarus? Palm branches, like, what is happening? And honestly, that's why the Bible can feel frustrating sometimes. You you know, we're like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible. And we open it up and you're like, palm branches and Lazarus and like what is happening and we're frustrated and it's not easy. It's because we, we, we don't read the Bible in its context and the more we know 
of what is going on, what went before it, what's coming after, the more the Bible begins to become beautiful and make sense. Like this story starts off in verse 12 with the words, the next day. Like even that says, hey, there's something significant that just happened. There's something happening right now. Jesus is leaving the town where he just raised Lazarus from the dead, which is by far his most significant miracle until he, Jesus himself, rises from the dead. Like Lazarus wasn't just dead and Jesus res- like resuscitated him. He was dead, buried, four days decomposing, and Jesus raised him from the dead. Like that's crazy. He came out just smelling like that's an amazing miracle. Jesus just did that. And then that night, uh, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, anointed Jesus with perfume and oil. And so as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, he would be smelling like that perfume he was just anointed with. And everyone's talking about what he just did with Lazarus. Also, the next day happens to be the beginning of Passover, the feast, like the number one holiday for a Jew. Now, the more you understand even about Passover, like what is Passover? Yeah, it's a festival, but it's, it's when Jesus, or it's when God took Israel out of Egypt and he says, I'm gonna kill the firstborn son of every household unless you kill a lamb, unless you slaughter it. And you put the blood of the lamb over the house. And if your house is covered by the blood of the lamb, the firstborn son won't be killed. Like context, right? Wait, that's like Jesus. All of a sudden, Passover takes on some meaning. Wait, Jesus is the Passover lamb. That's amazing. So that is happening. Also, it's happening in Jerusalem, which at that time was not much bigger than the size of Carpinteria is right now. It was like 20 to 30,000 people. It's a pretty small city. But during Passover, anywhere from 300,000 to some estimates, Josephus, a historian, says 2.5 million people showed up in Jerusalem for Passover week. That's like That's unbelievable. Imagine 2.5 million people in Carpinteria. Like you couldn't move around. Like that is what is happening. Imagine how many like lambs had to be slain. Like that's a lot of blood happening in Jerusalem. It's a crazy week. And then the more you know about Jerusalem and the politics going on, it makes the story even crazier. Like if you know about the history of Israel, they've been longing for this promised land, this home. And now Romans are like in charge and there's Roman soldiers walking around. You're like, this is not home. This is not the promised land. And then, you know, they're longing for this Messiah and they're longing for freedom. They're longing for this king to set them free. And then you get all those people in this little town on the biggest holiday. And then Jesus shows up as that king. Like that's a pretty chaotic, like high energy, gnarly situation. If you're a Roman soldier on that day, like it's a stressful day. Like, this is a lot going on. That's, that's the context of this story. The story is just, like, brimming. Then, the second, the, the, the second most important part about reading a Bible story, read it in context. The more you know the story, the more the story will make sense. The second is to ask, like, where am I in the story? Like, where would I be in this story? And this is, this is kind of funny. This is where we tend to go wrong, right? Britt just mentioned, if, if you look... At a group photo, what do you look at first? Who do you look for first, right? You look for yourself. Where am I? How do I look? We do that when we read the Bible, but the problem is we, we think we're in, we put ourselves in a spot that we're not really there, right? Like if you're reading David and Goliath, you're like, oh man, I'm like David. And I could just imagine this whole army watching me and I step out in faith and I slay 
Goliath, and everyone's like, oh, that's amazing. And you're like, that's a good Bible story. I like that. And I feel better. And close the Bible. Like, we put ourselves in, in the wrong place. Okay? More realistically, like, maybe we're just like an Israelite soldier. That's probably where we would be, like, standing off on the side. Like, man, you know, if I were running things, it'd be different. Or, hey, I don't know what Saul, like, isn't Saul supposed to be, like, handling this situation? What's going on? Maybe some of us are like Saul. Maybe we're like, we have responsibility. We know what God's called us to, and we're not doing it. Like, who was responsible to, to confront Goliath? That would be Saul, the king. Maybe, maybe you're like Goliath. Maybe you're like, man, I'm kind of a bully. Like, I, I have some power, and I have some influence, and, and I just kind of bully people around. Like, when we read a Bible story, we need to humbly ask the Holy Spirit, like, Lord, who am I in this story? Who am I? Because the truth is, we're probably not like David. We're probably not the hero. And the Lord wants to teach us, hey, you're kind of like that person, or you're kind of like that person. So you need to ask, where am I? Now, there's four major characters in this story. Four major characters we need to ask right now, Lord, who am I in this story? The first is the crowd, okay? It says in verse 12, the large crowd that had come to the feast. All right, crowds, when you get in a crowd, a room of people, it's an interesting phenomenon. We do things you would never normally do when you're in a crowd, right? When I was in high school, my youth group went to an Angels game. Now, I grew up like Dodgers. I, my first Dodger game, I was six months old. Went to Dodgers, had season tickets. I was such a Dodgers fan. So when I'm like, oh, cool, our youth group's going to an Angels game. I was such a punk, like wearing my Dodgers jersey, wearing my Dodgers hat, like just sitting there like this is so dumb, just sitting just like in the crowd. And one of my leaders was like, man, Bo's not having a good time. He's like, hey, do you think we could start a wave? And I was like, I don't know, maybe let's try. I get rid of my jersey, my hat, borrow an Angels hat. Like we're next thing, literally in 10 minutes, one of the greatest moments of my life, sadly, 44,000 people just in unison, the wave, and you're just standing there like, I did this. And I'm like, I'm high-fiving, and I'm like the biggest Angels fan, and I'm like charging up and down the aisles. The wave dies down, and like, am I still an Angels fan? No, I take off the hat. I'm over it. I'm not really an Angels fan, but for the moment, it was exciting. For the moment, I was into it. That effect happens when we're gathered, when we're even around Jesus, that effect happens. At, at first glance, this is a, we read this story and we're like, oh, that's cool. They got it. They're worshiping Jesus. They're into it. But as you, as you look a little bit closer, you see that it's just the crowd effect right now. In fact, in five days, these people are going to say, crucify him. In five days, that crowd will turn on Jesus you guys, some of us are like, the, are, are like those that are just in the crowd. It's exciting, right? I'll worship if, the, if it feels good and if people are worshiping, if the mix is right. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm into it. Or, you know, I'll listen if, I, if, if people are responding well and the room's exciting and the preacher's good. Like, some of us are in the crowd. The crowd took palm branches, right? And they're waving the palm branches. What did that mean? Palm branches were the symbol of freedom and liberation, it was like a political sign, like, hey, we want, we're like, we want Jesus to lead us in rebellion against Rome. They were saying, Hosanna, which means save now. Like, think about what that actually is. They're saying, save me right now. They're, they're saying, even the king of Israel, do you know what the crowd is really wanting in this moment? They're wanting Jesus to cruise in, to lead an army, to drive out Rome. They want salvation right now. They want something different than what Jesus came to do. 
They were excited about Jesus when there's that commotion and maybe there's going to be this rebellion and we're into it. But the moment Jesus goes to a cross, they're over it. They're over Jesus. Guys, some of us are maybe in the crowd. Maybe that's who we are. Maybe when we're reading this Bible story, we need to be like, is that me? Am I in there? Am I, am I like that? Do I just follow Jesus and get excited when people are like, would you be here if nobody else you knew was here? Would you come to church this morning if it wasn't the, the cool church or the, or the right church or the right place to be? Like, like would you? Or is this kind of just like a crowd thing? Because that sometimes, that can be us, and we have to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, is, that, is there any of me in that crowd? The second group of people are the disciples. And it says in verse 16, this is, I love this classic disciple verse. It says, his disciples, I think we have it, maybe not. Verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things. I just love that. Maybe you're a disciple of Jesus. The disciples had no idea what was going on that day. They're like, what is happening? Palm branches, donkey-like excitement. They just didn't know. They just didn't know what was happening. And this is what is true about disciples. And this is encouraging. If you're a disciple of Jesus, this doesn't mean you're a Bible scholar. It doesn't mean you're always going to know what's going on. But it means you're sticking with Jesus. You're going to be with Jesus. Like these disciples, it's been three years. They don't really get many things, but they're still with him. There's been a lot of people that came and gone, but the disciples are still with him. And the disciples at this point are willing to do some crazy things. Like imagine this, Jesus is like, hey, we're going into Jerusalem. I want you to go to the first driveway you see and take their donkey, just take it. And if they're like, what are you doing? Just say, oh, Jesus wants it. The Lord wants it and they'll let you. Like that's actually pretty crazy. Go to someone's house, take their car, just say the Lord wants it. And the disciples... They did it. Like, they actually did it. They're, they're so used to like, what, gosh, what is, Jesus says crazy things, whatever we're in, we'll do it. So they go and they get the donkey. They should, there's this whole scene going down and they don't understand, but they're sticking with him. You guys, disciples are different than crowds because the disciples are around before the crowds show up and the disciples continue to be around when the crowds went home. The disciples didn't get it all. They didn't have it together. In fact, Peter would betray Jesus on Friday night. Like, they weren't perfect, but they stuck with Jesus. That's what a disciple does. You don't have to be some expert. You don't have to be amazing. It's just, I don't get it, but, but I know that I love Jesus, and I'm going to stay with him. And then the third group of characters are the Pharisees and the rulers. In verse 19, it says to them, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And Pharisees want attention on themselves. Pharisees are jealous when others get attention, when Jesus like, takes attention away from them. Like, we need to ask, am I, am I like that? Do I get bummed if, if Jesus is getting glory in another way that, that's, that's difficult for me? In, in verse 42 and 43, it talks about the rulers. It's really similar. It says, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be put out of the synagogue. Listen to this. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Like that's heavy. You know what the, the rulers and Pharisees had in common? They wanted the attention on themselves. They wanted the praises of man. They had a hard time when someone would show up and bring attention away from them. Like we, like we need to ask, is that, is that me? Is there, any, is there any of me there? Like I have a hard time when, when the attention's not on me. I want this to be about me. Or maybe it's like, I, love, I like Jesus and I'm into him, but 
When push comes to shove, like, I, I like people's approval more. And I want to live for what people think. When I'm at work, it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. But if push comes to shove, I, I want man's glory more than the glory that comes from God. Like, we need to ask ourselves, and is, is there any of me in the Pharisees? Is there any of me in the rulers? And then the third way to read a Bible story is this. Ask yourself, where is Jesus in the story? Where is Jesus? Okay, now it's, it's easy when you're reading the Gospels, right? Like he's right there. He's right there. But did you know that the entire Bible Jesus has told us is about him and is fulfilled in him? In fact, this is the danger. You can read this book and miss Jesus. You can read this book, you can memorize it, you can obey it, you can be all about it and miss Jesus. Jesus said in John 5, he says, you come to the scriptures because you think in them you're going to have life, but it's they that point to me. The point of every Bible story is Jesus. Where is Jesus? In Luke 24, when Jesus rises from the dead, he's walking with some disciples. He's like playing a trick on them and they don't recognize him. And then it says he, he told them all the things in the scriptures concerning himself. Like the Bible is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Do you know what that means? That means it's not primarily about me and how I can fix my problems or my relationships. That, that helps and it's there, but it's about Jesus. Do you know what else? It means it's not primarily just some rules and some good morals and I, and I want to make my life better. Like that's not, it's about Jesus. The story is about Jesus. And do you know what's crazy? We can read Jesus stories and miss Jesus. Like, didn't we see that in the temptation story? Like, we, when we were studying how Jesus defeated Satan and, and didn't give in to temptation, doesn't our mind so quickly go to, so this is how I cannot defeat temptation. This is how I can defeat temptation. This is the five easy steps, the three easy ways that I can not give in to temptation. And we miss the fact that, oh, no, wait, that story's about Jesus. And actually, I don't, I don't always resist temptation. And actually, I need Jesus. Like, we need to read every Bible story looking for Jesus and how it points to Jesus. And so this morning, our story shows us some amazing things about Jesus. It shows us that he is the true savior, right? They're crying, Hosanna, save us, save now. But, but really, they just wanted relief from their difficult circumstances. They wanted relief from the, the bad government. But Jesus came to save from far more than some difficult circumstances. Like Jesus came so that you could be saved from yourself and from your sin and be rescued and redeemed and brought near to him. That's what Jesus came to do. These people wanted a king, yes, an earthly king. They wanted a leader. But, but Jesus, imagine if all Jesus did was took over Israel 2,000 years ago and, and then the kingdom would dwindle away. Like Jesus is, is the true king who's still on his throne ruling every nation. Like that's our king. And do you know what else? What kind of a king and what kind of a savior is he? Jesus rides in on a donkey. Like that's our Jesus. Like that is mind-blowing to me. What kind of a king is he? What kind of a savior? He, he rides into town on a donkey. Humble. And, and not only that, in five days, he's heading to a cross. What kind of king is our Jesus? He's the kind that would ride into town on a donkey and end his life on a cross, letting the, the words crucify him come from the same mouths that said Hosanna. And he would say, Lord, forgive them. 
and he would die for their sin and for their, for th- what they were doing, nailing him to the cross. He's like, God, forgive them. This is why I came for them. He came for sinners like us. You guys, we can't miss Jesus and we can't miss the gospel in every single Bible story we read. Because the truth is, we're not the hero. Like, we're like the crowd or we're like the Pharisees. We need rescuing, but there is a hero. His name is Jesus. He died on a cross for us. And that's not just what the gospels are about. That's what your entire relationship with God is about Jesus and what Jesus has done on your behalf for you. That's not just a little highlight. That's the story. That's what it is. The only way to live the Christian life is by daily applying the gospel. Jesus, man, I'm a sinner, but Jesus died for me and he loves me. Every time we read the Bible, we should end there. Like, Jesus, look what he has done. And and so then, this is helpful. Once you find Jesus in the story, which is the best, now you have to to take that and apply it back to yourself. You got to preach the gospel back to yourself, right? You find him, and then the fourth way to read a Bible story is, like, apply that news to, to your life to your problems, to your sins, right? Like if, if you are in the crowd, there are some of us here that, that are, are like that, we're in the crowd. We're just in because it's exciting or, or we wanna be accepted and we wanna, be, we wanna belong to a crowd. What you do is when you find Jesus, then you're like, hey, the gospel says Jesus was rejected by the crowd so that you could truly be brought in to a family and be known and be accepted. Like, the, the, the crowd lasts a moment, right? Haven't we all been like at a concert or with a group of friends and it's amazing and we feel so known and then it dissipates and you're by yourself and you feel alone again. Jesus says, if you want to be known and accepted, listen, I was rejected so that you could be brought in. That's what the gospel says. Jesus says, hey, if you're in the crowd, you just want relief from easy circumstances. Jesus, make my life better. Help this problem. Jesus, Jesus went to the cross to suffer the worst possible circumstances so that if we came to him, we wouldn't just be relieved of some temporary pain. Like we would have eternal life, forgiveness, adoption. We would be sons and daughters of God for eternity. Like Jesus is offering us something far more than let me make your life a little bit better until you die. Like that's true salvation. Some of us, some of us maybe have, have rejected God like the crowd because God didn't meet our expectations. Like, we would be on Friday, like, crucify him. He's not the man I thought he was. He's not the king I thought he was. Like, some of us have been hurt and wounded by what we wish and thought Jesus would do. That may be you. But listen, on the cross, Jesus was rejected, not just by you, but by his own father. And if you put your trust in him, I can promise you, he will far exceed your expectations, your wildest dreams in the long run. Like you may have been let down, but if you come to Jesus, you will not be let down for eternity. Do you know what else about a crowd? Some of us, we we, we like the crowd because we feel feel hidden, right? Like, Like we may be hurting. Like we may be deeply wounded. And so we kind of just like sneaking in the back and and then piecing out. Like that's easy, right? We like the crowd. We're safe in the crowd. There's another day where there was another crowd and there was this woman who was bleeding and she's like, I just need to even touch the end of Jesus' garments. And she's like, I'll just sneak in and I'll sneak out. 
and everyone's jostling Jesus and bumping Jesus, and she reaches him, and she just touches him, and Jesus stops the entire situation. He's like on his way to go do another miracle. He stops, and he talks to her, and he addresses her in the middle of the crowd, people everywhere, and he's giving her his attention, and he calls her daughter, and he heals her. And if, if you are, are wounded and just hiding in the crowd, if it's just hiding, Jesus knows, and he looks at you, and he says, I love you. Come to me. Let me heal you. You are my son. You are my daughter. And, and then the last thing about the crowd is some of us, we like the hiding because, because we have some sin in our life that people don't know about. And it's, it's easy just to hide it and sneak in and sneak out and do our religious thing, but, but there's something in there. And, and the truth is you're not hidden from Jesus. And he loves you enough to, to call that into the light and say, come to me. Be free of that. It's a burden. Be free from that. Like if that's you this morning, this hidden sin, no one knows. Like Jesus knows. He already knows. Come to him. Be free of that. Don't hide anymore in the crowd. For those of you who are like the Pharisees and the, and the religious rulers, you've rejected Jesus because you like the praises of man. Listen, the praises of man are so fleeting. Like, they are so fleeting. They feel so good, and then they're gone. Like, it's sad, but that's like what celebrities experience. Like, concert, stage, amazing, and then everyone goes home, and they're alone. Like, it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't last. The praises of man are so shallow. And, and you may get them, and you may be praised, and people may think you're amazing, but that's just, that fuel will run out. And Jesus says, hey, I've been rejected. I've been rejected by men and by God so that you could trade that temporary approval for eternal love of the Father. Like, are you kidding me? Could you, would you do this trade? Trade like something that barely lasts and barely satisfies to be known and approved of and loved forever by God the Father? Like, there is nothing better than that. Like, trade that in today. Trade that in. It is not worth it to just cling to the praises of people. It is far better to come to Jesus and be known and loved and accepted. Because there's days where you'll be praised and there's days you won't. But if, if you have the approval of God, like you're not going to be that wrecked when people don't approve of you. And when people are stoked on you, you're like, yeah, this is great. But it's like Palm Sunday. Maybe Friday they'll be over it. Like that's not where my hope is. That's not my joy. Like I'm loved by the Father. I'm loved by him. And then to that last group, the disciples. Here's, here's the gospel to the disciples. We follow a crucified Lord. And Jesus says in just a few verses later, in verse 24, he says this, if you're a disciple of Jesus, this is what Jesus says to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If, my serv- if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Man, do you know what Jesus says to the disciples? Hey, we're, we're heading to a cross, and so are you. And if you want to follow him, that's, that's where we head as disciples, we, we head into a life of being rejected and suffering because that's what Jesus did. And that's, that's who we follow. And look what it says. If, you, if it dies, if, this, if the seed, a grain of wheat dies, it bears much fruit. 
The Lord wants you to have a fruitful life, and that comes through death. Oof, that's not fun to hear. But the more death, the more fruit. The more that I die, the more room for Jesus. Like John the Baptist, I have to decrease so that Jesus can increase. The more you're willing to follow Jesus to selfless death, the more fruit Jesus will bear in your life. That's what a disciple does. They're like, okay, it's, it's temporary, it's small, it's light, it's momentary, but I know that there's joy ahead, so I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to face the cross because I know there's eternal life because the Father will honor me. Are you kidding me? The Father will honor me. The Father will honor me if I, if I follow the way of Christ. That, like, that will defeat the praises of the man, that the Father will honor me. And the last way, the fifth way to read a Bible story is this, worship. Like, like if you read this book and it's just some stats and some facts and you're like the Bible guy and there's no worship, like, man, that's, you're missing it. Like, this book is for worship. This book, when, when you read this and you see your sin, and you're like, man, that's me. And then you see Jesus, and then he died for me. And now if I come to him, I can be loved and forgiven. Like, that leads to worship. Like, it should just lead to worship. That's why on Sunday mornings, when we finish the word of God, we believe this gets us ready to worship. Like, this gets our hearts ready to do what we were created for. We, you, exist to glorify God. Like, that's the reason, the rock bottom of why you are here, to worship. And so when you read this book, it should lead your heart to worship. That is what this book is for. And I'm going to close with this. When, when, we read, when we read a Bible story, every once in a while, there's, there's like these hidden, just little gems, these hidden little nuggets. And there's one of those in this story, and it's so good. It wraps it up so well. Um, my grandpa's here this morning. He told this to me a long time ago when I started doing ministry things. And, and the hidden hero of this story is the donkey, okay? You want to know who the hero is next to Jesus? It's the donkey. And this is why. He lived and existed to glorify Jesus. And, and his job was nothing other than, hey, I want you to walk down this road and carry Jesus on your back. And I want you to bring Jesus to the crowd and to the world. And imagine how ridiculous for the donkey to be like, man, I think they're cheering for me. I think I'm pretty awesome, right? Like it's a, the, the point was it's a donkey so that it can't be like, look at me. Like if, if we want a model, it's this donkey. Do you know what? I don't need glory. I don't need praises. All I need is to bring Jesus with me wherever I go so that Jesus could be praised wherever I go. I don't need the praises of people I have Jesus on my back, and that's all that I need. Jesus, we're heading to a cross, let's go. Jesus, we're heading in a crowd, let's go. I don't care where, I don't care what people think, I just, I'm a, I'm a donkey, I don't know much, but I'm gonna walk with Jesus. I'm gonna walk with Jesus so that Jesus would be glorified. And right now, we have that opportunity to glorify Jesus. We have the, the opportunity before us right now to do what you were created to do. You will find your deepest satisfaction when you take attention off of yourself and put it onto Jesus. Problems won't all go away, but, but Jesus will, will get you through it. He is your deepest joy. And so 
right now as, as, as we worship him, here's, here's my encouragement. We're going to have people on the sides to pray for you. If, if there's stuff going on, if there's stuff hidden, if, if you're broken or wounded, like come bring that, come share that burden, and then we're just going to point you back to Jesus. If, if you're feeling convicted, like here's the body of Jesus that was broken for your sin. Like that's that bread and that juice, that's a reminder that Jesus was broken and bled so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be accepted. And, and I just know right now, as, even as we leave church, like the temptation will be there. Man, seek my glory, seek my attention, impress people. May we be like that donkey. I don't need that. I have the approval of my father and I want Jesus to be glorified. So let's glorify Jesus right now. Yeah, Jesus, you, you are worthy. Gosh, you are so worthy. You are the king of kings. You are the savior. You are the humble king who laid his life down for sinners like us. Lord, if we're in the crowd, if we're a disciple, if we're a Pharisee, if we're some mix of all those things, you died so that we could know you. We could be forgiven so that we could have our deepest joy in knowing you. Jesus, right now, would, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you do your job that you love to do and glorify Jesus? Would you help our hearts to worship Jesus? Help our minds to be fixed on Jesus? We ask for your presence right now, Jesus, to be with us. We want to be those disciples. We want to be those that seek the glory in the name and the renown of Jesus above all things. And Jesus, just this week, as, as we go on and prepare our hearts, just remind us, remind us that you knew this day that you were heading to a cross. You were willing to be obedient. You were willing to be faithful because, because we fail to. Thank you, Jesus. You were worthy. Help us to fall at your feet right now.